0: as hell and I want to get ill, so I go to a place where my
1: homeboys chill, fellas out there trying to make that dollar, pulled up in
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robots, Cinema Queens, and Funny Books and Firewater.
1: And I am Andy Wilson of Graphic Policy and The Hall of Greatness.
0: And currently you're doing a little bit of a guest stint on Funny Books.
1: Yeah, every, every once in a while I'll show up on Funny Books and Firewater. That's always fun. It's it's like uh, there's an extra chair for me whenever I want to sit in. I like Oh, it. yeah,
0: definitely. We, we always love having you there. So. so this week we've got three movies coming at you. We've got the uh, kind of like a biopic, I guess, of Neil Armstrong with First Man. We've got uh, Sony's next outing in the Spider-Verse with Venom. And then the movie I didn't get a chance to see, but I, it's on my list uh, – What was it called again, Mandy? Bad
1: Times at the El Royale.
0: That's right. So we'll uh, let Andy take that one solo towards the end. But first, uh, Andy, tell us about First Man.
1: First Man is, as you said, the story of Neil Armstrong and the trip to the moon. We've got Damien Chazelle, uh, who did La La Land as your director. And he's pulling out all the stops in terms of making this just as beautiful ...as he possibly can. Uh, Just like in La La Land, he's brought along Ryan Gosling to play Neil Armstrong. And he plays him very taciturn. His emotions always very close to the chest. Uh, Then Claire Foy, who you may know from The Crown, uh, as his wife, Janet and uh then there is a, a secondary cast of 800 character actors who you will go through the entire movie going like oh i know that guy i recognize that guy i recognize that guy um, oh it's
0: him Oh, it's her it's the- <laughs> yeah
1: it's that guy and uh yeah oh that guy showed up and uh you know people like like kyle chandler and Corey Stoll, who who always show up in uh in movies and supporting roles like this and um yeah, I mean, it's, it's the story of Neil Armstrong going to the moon, uh, and we start almost 10 years beforehand, and we see the journey that he goes on, and a lot of it ends up focusing on his family and the toll and the sacrifices that, uh, you know, <clears throat> astronauts' families are, are meant to go through, yeah, how his emotional compartmentalization, uh, you know, it really ended up dragging his family uh, which is sort of the, the the heroism and the tragedy of this. Uh, I, I have some more thoughts on that, but you know what? Did, what did you think of the movie, Adam?
0: So I, I went in really excited because uh, the director's one I love him, Damien Chazelle. He did you know, La La Land, which was my favorite movie last year, uh, and Ryan Gosling's a great actor, yep. and you know he does. I mean, he does a good job here. It's a very subdued and taciturn performance, uh, and I liked the fact that it was. It was just as important to show the work they were doing on the space program as it was what was going on with his family and how, you know, his constantly putting his life in danger was damaging his relationship with his kids and everything. And I think one of the best scenes in the movie, and I'm sure it's the one that they'll show when, you know, this eventually gets nominated for Oscars for acting and stuff, because I'm pretty sure it will, is when he's about to leave to go on the Apollo 11 mission and he was just going to leave without saying goodbye to anyone and his wife comes in and she's like, no, you need to go down there, talk to your kids and tell them, Hey, guess what? I may not be coming back. You know, you need to own up and take care of this and be the father you're supposed to be instead of leaving it all on me because I'm worried enough as it is, but it shouldn't be my job to carry the the burden of our children's fears by myself as well.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really hard. And I mean, you could turn this movie into a drinking game for any time the emotions get too much for Neil Armstrong and he jumps into his car and drives off angrily.
0: Which happens like every It
1: it, it does, it happens a lot. Uh, But the thing I think that impressed me most about this was uh, Chazelle's visual eye and his approach to space movies. And and when I think about the Apollo era and this era, I think of a couple of movies first off. I think of the right stuff. I think of Apollo Mm. 13. and of course, it, it's it's interesting how very different these three movies are and how they approach how everything looks like for Ron Howard. Space looks pretty cool. It looks pretty clean. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it it's it's kind of normal. Um, uh, the right stuff is, you know, it's space age. It's cool here. Uh, I, I don't know if you got this feeling, too. Everything looked really gritty and really claustrophobic
0: oh you know definitely because it was you know this was showing that we were still learning how to go to space and so it was it was very much all trial and error and so yeah so it definitely had more of a gritty feel than than previous ones have
1: yeah and and i just you know every time when something major is happening they put you right up close to ryan gosling's face and you know and half the time he's just stone cold you know you know figuring things out doing beneath that very placid demeanor is a giant whirlpool of emotion um, but he's trying to handle it but you're right in his face and you feel cramped you feel the the weight and the emotion of this uh, It it's scary in a couple of parts even knowing like hey, we know Neil Armstrong lives. <laughs> it's, exactly, It's yeah. still, uh, I think that's the testament. And what I liked about this movie is, even though this is a story we know, uh, it gave me some emotional highs that I think were a good payoff.
0: Yeah, and actually that's um, interesting that you bring up the, the cinematography because that's actually a point of contention really? I have for the movie is that, um, yeah, I, I felt that there was only two different shots, either was shaky cam or it was a close shot. true. So I think that, yes, it did a great job. It did do a good job of making you feel claustrophobic and cramped and how they must have felt, you know, in these space shuttles. But at the same time, it got to be too much. It was like a trick that was overused. And, you know, it, yeah, there were some breathtaking moments and there were, you know, like you said, there. we know how it ends. We know, you know, we know they make it to the moon and back. Um, but then even when there, there are moments in between where it's not crazy and not weird things happening and things blowing up or not working you don't get a chance to take a breath because when you get back to Earth or anywhere else that shaky can comes into play again and it was just, for me it just got really distracting it it was was just overused throughout the whole thing
1: yeah, I think there was a lot of that I think the movie redeems itself in that aspect in its last 15-20 minutes when they do make it to the moon because man that was gorgeous Oh,
0: that was definitely gorgeous. Um, you know, they again, they I can't fault that part of it. Just I think the yeah. the other parts were issues I with. Also, oh, I, agree. Uh, I I felt the movie was too long. They could have, I mean, this is two hours and twenty minutes, and it almost seemed like it kind of had the Lord of the Rings thing going for it, where it had like multiple endings. Because at the very beginning of the movie, he loses his daughter to was it leukemia she had or she had some kind of tumor.
1: She had cancer, of some and
0: sort of, yeah. yeah, cancer of some sort. And was it a little bracelet he gave her, or uh, uh, something that he was like, "All he had left"? Weren't they? Her? I don't. Were they rosary beads? I can't remember. No, no. But it, you know, it's it's foreshadowed at the beginning of the movie that he's going to take that with him to the moon, and in turn enough, he does take it, drops it, you know, on the moon, and it fades to black. And for me, I would have preferred to see the movie end right there because I think that was a perfect coda for everything that had happened. Hmm. But instead, they, he goes back to Earth. They're quarantined because they don't know if there's any weird microbes or stuff on the moon that it, we don't want to bring back to Earth. And there's a final scene between him and his wife that was sweet, but it wasn't really necessary. So I think it was it would have been wiser just to end it on that note. Um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: I I somewhat agree with you, but at the same time, I think my favorite line in the movie came not from anyone who was actually an actor, Uh, But from one of my favorite political speeches of all time is uh, JFK speaking at Rice University in Houston and saying, we choose to go to the moon and we choose to do these things not because they are easy, but because they are Mm -hmm. hard. And I'm like, oh, man, like that's that's what this is all about. This is about us, you know, putting all of our efforts into doing something fantastic and Mm -hmm. Our, our politics and our culture have become so cynical, we don't do anything like that anymore. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the, the challenges we've been facing. There was a new UN report that came out about climate change that says like, hey, if we don't radically change some things, there's gonna be some really bad things happening in about 20, 25 years here. And, and we, we've gotta really change stuff. I'm like, we went to the moon. Like we can figure this stuff out. we just we just have to do it. and uh, like if if there's a piece of this that resonated with me, it was that final JFK speech. I could have just sat and watched that on YouTube at home though. so yeah. you know there's 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 also that. uh the The other plug I wa- really want to give here though, is really for Claire Foy and her acting as as good as Gosling was. I think Foy really has the superior performance because she has to do all of the emotional labor in the film. And I think that is also a commentary on, you know, the sexual politics of the era and 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 today as well. And and I really like that. And she's she's great. She's brilliant. And uh, we really feel for her. And in many ways, um, she is the the point of view character for us as the audience. We don't really connect with Neil Armstrong because he's so distant. We connect with her. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she's the emotional core and center of the movie.
0: Yeah. And as you said, it's almost like she's doing double duty because it's almost as if she's trying to emote for Neil Armstrong because, you know, Ryan Gosling's performance is so stoic. So. Uh, and, and lost all his feelings away. So she's, yeah, again, she's kind of performing for both characters. And then, like I said, I think, you know, I, th- I think she'll get some recognition and the the clip where she's telling him, go talk to your kids is probably going to be the one we're going to see a lot yep. of, you know, when we're showing things off. And maybe this is just me being too woke, but um, wasn't this pretty much just like white people, the movie? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I know it was about Neil. I know it's about Neil Armstrong. We already had the movie Hidden Figures, but they could have at least, you know, taken two three minutes and shown that aspect of it because they've got everyone in mission control trying to get things set up and working on code and everything and it's like that's not really how it right. happened uh it kind of seemed like there was a lot left out that you know again this was a neil armstrong biopic in a sense but they could have at least addressed right. that issue
1: and i mean and that was essentially like part of my critique of dunkirk which by the way dunkirk much, far superior movie to this but um, oh definitely uh, yeah, that
0: was my second favorite. yeah movie uh,
1: but that was part of my critique of it is whenever a filmmaker especially someone with the cash of a damien chazelle uh decides to make a movie about white people heroism we've had a million of those movies we've had a bunch of movies about neil armstrong and the astronauts of that era what new are you bringing here and and why in 2018 should we have a movie that focuses on an almost entirely male cast and a pretty much completely mm-hmm. white cast. Uh, there's, there's one part in the movie that I really, really liked where uh, there are people protesting outside of Cape Kennedy. And uh, there's, there's this black dude out there and he's, he's singing and rapping. And he's like, I can't get no job, but they put white boys on the moon. I can't, I can't feed my yeah. family, but they putting white boys on the moon. And I'm like, Oh man, I feel you. I, I think that if Chazelle, Chazelle is trying to blunt that criticism in the tiniest bit, but I think he still kind of fails um, by saying, Oh, but look, I'm pointing out that like, while this was heroic for Neil Armstrong and these people, there was this huge sacrifice on the part of so many people including women, including communities of color, mm-hmm. uh, people who had to go without. And I'm like, yeah, but that, that's also kind of a BS answer. I am conflicted about how I feel about that part of the film. And no, I don't think that's too woke of you. I, I think that's spot on because that was, that was something I, I picked yeah. up on immediately as well.
0: Interestingly enough, that character's name was Token. so. <laughs> uh <laughs> the one yes, the no. one
1: white guy who or the one black guy who was able to have a speaking role in the movie
0: exactly yeah uh but yeah so as far as final grades go i'm at a six on this uh some really good performances mainly from claire foy i think you'll see a lot of her coming up uh but i just had problems with the cinematography it's way too long has too many endings and i'm actually i'm a little bit up from where i was when i saw it because i was just hugely bored throughout the after the, about the first hour or so so not the best. It's, it's if you do want to go see it, though, I would recommend Cena on a big screen because it's that kind of movie that you want to experience on as large a screen as possible. But I, I would have been fine waiting for Redbox. So.
1: Sure, I, I think I can agree with you. I'm a little higher than that. Uh, you know what a what a change where I'm a little higher than you. I'm at a seven on this. Um, I I think I took away that inspirational piece and the like. What does this mean for today? Can we have that same sort of heroism and uh, society all trying to move towards as audacious of a goal as putting a man on the moon? Uh, Let's hopefully do that again and do something like eradicate poverty, you know, our space force no not space force (laughs) not space force adam (laughs) but yes no let's uh you know do the opposite uh let's let's get everyone a job let's uh make sure there aren't homeless people let's make sure everyone uh doesn't have to worry about health insurance um and yeah let's i mean we could go to mars again you know who knows but yeah, we can colonize, colonize
0: or something like that. So. Sure,
1: you know, white people colonizing someplace else again. <laughs> Let's go to Mars. That's what we're going to do next. Uh, speaking of
0: <laughs> going to Mars, <laughs> yeah, <space. laughs> That
1: that leads us uh, very perfectly to our next film, which is Sony Pictures' Venom, uh, a film that is tangential to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Venom is a Spider-Man anti-hero. Uh, well-known throughout Marvel Comics as a main Spider-Man villain. This is made by Sony Pictures with some consultation from Marvel, not made by Marvel Studios, not an official part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we think of it. Our main character is Tom Hardy, plays Eddie Brock, who is an investigative reporter, and uh, he's he's got... A blog and uh, a TV show where he goes in and uh, interviews the powerful and calls them out for this misdeeds. Uh, he's got a beautiful girlfriend played by Michelle Williams, who is a lawyer, uh, and one of her clients is this foundation called the Life Foundation, uh, headed by Riz Ahmed, who we remember from Rogue One, uh, who was the Imperial mm-hmm. pilot who defected over to the Rogue Team. Love Bro- Brody Rook uh, as. Uh, love Riz Ahmed as as an actor and as a human being Um, but he's kind of playing a sort of Elon Musk type guy uh, who is building his own space program and they're they're Hmm. launching rockets out into space and bringing stuff back and in the opening scenes uh, something gets out and causes one of those spaceships to crash And it comes down, uh, and we see something come out and slither into one of the astronauts. Uh, trivia point, Adam, did you notice the name of that astronaut who was first infected by that first symbiote?
0: I did not know.
1: It was Jameson. And in the, in the credits, it, it said, yeah, uh, Jonah, uh, astronaut jonah jameson the third uh who is j jonah jameson's son uh from uh uh, who you uh, marvel fans will know from from the spider-verse uh and who was canonically an astronaut uh if you remember that from the sam raimi spider-man 2 uh and eventually became a werewolf so there's werewolf by night there's your there's your marvel trivia so there you go man wolf (laughs) Marvel Comics Love Marvel Comics Anyway, anyway, uh, so Spaceship crashes Uh, One of the symbiotes gets out Uh, They've got three more and they're doing Tests on them in a lab Run by a scientist Played by Jenny Slate uh, Formerly Captain America's Girlfriend, Jenny Slate Mm -hmm. Another tie-in to the MCU Uh, And uh, Eventually one of these Gets out infects eddie brock they sort of go on an anti-hero rampage trying to uh right the wrongs that have been caused by uh riz ahmed's character and all the bad things that he's doing and preventing you know alien invasion destruction of earth and all that stuff uh, and and so wackiness ensues as as all of this happens. As we say, yeah. yes, <laughs> um, that's that's basically your Venom movie there, uh, Adam. What did you think about it? So
0: let's let's just kind of get some stuff out of the way that I didn't like because I actually enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, so the thing with this, like you said, is tangentially attached to the Spider-Man and MCU universe. So the question comes, you know, since the whole purpose of Venom exists, and you know, from the beginning to where he is now, and his relationship with Spider-Man, is how do you do a Venom movie without Spider-Man? So what's going what's he going to fight? I mean, this is based very, very loosely, very loosely off of a, a Venom run back in the late 90, 90s called Venom Lethal Protector, where he actually does go to San Francisco and kind of fight an evil corporation that's trying to get rid of the homeless people. So it's very, very much an Eddie Brock movie because Venom doesn't really even show up until I'd say think, the last 20, 30 minutes, because even yeah. once he gets the symbiote, uh, for a while there, he's not actually his Venom. He's just like you know fighting bad guys, and he's got like this, the black goo coming out of him and, and doing things. For a movie named Venom, it's not in it much. I mean, this movie has a terrible case of originitis. It spends a little bit too long on showing how Eddie Brock's been disgraced and where his life is now, instead of focusing on what we came to see, which was Venom. Now that being said, I'm really excited for the sequel because the mid credit scene perfectly sets up what's going to happen next. And when I walked out, I was like, "Hey, this movie's going to bomb. No one's going to go see it." Uh, so I probably won't get that movie but in the end I mean this movie's doing fantastically so we probably will get that sequel.
1: Um, yeah. Sony isn't giving up that Marvel licensing for the Spider-Verse. They're Yeah. They're de- and and we won't spoil who the actor is who shows up and who he's playing or who
0: they're playing, yeah.
1: But it it it's going to make you excited for that next movie. I I told my 10-year-old son who showed up in the mid credit sequence and he's like oh my gosh that means blah, blah, blah. and i'm like yeah that's what it means yeah and and he it's... was super into it
0: yeah pe- people were on my screen they were they were all like trying to guess who it was and they were all like shouting out who this person could be and then the, it shows up and people were you know pretty much given like a standing ovation it was pretty cool but yeah so there's there's that problem with it there's plot holes uh the cgi is pretty shoddy
1: so many plot yeah, holes been... oh my gosh Plot holes the size of the San Francisco Bay Bridge, just oh, yeah. So,
0: huge. so there's again. Huge. This is by no means a great movie, and I'd be hard pressed to say it's even a good movie. Um, it's a hell of a lot of fun though. I mean, if you're a Venom fan, you're gonna get everything you want. I mean, the the best character in the movie obviously is Venom, uh, also voiced by Tom Hardy. And the fun thing is, is that you know in the comics has it too. Like the, the internal monologue between Eddie and and the symbiote, and it does it wonderfully here. And like the, what's so great is that. The of Venom is very much catty and sarcastic, and just constantly berates and makes fun of Eddie the whole time, and it's hilarious. Like he's he's yeah. got one of the best lines, which I'm not going to say because we, we keep it family friendly here. But um, it's just it's so much fun and interesting. And yeah, at the end they kind of start throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. It gets a little bit too chaotic and and intense. Uh, this movie could have probably been about twenty minutes longer to you know flesh things out more and maybe give more time to Venom, but it's a ton of fun and it sets up the sequel perfectly. And I can't wait to see that movie.
1: It reminds me a lot of pre MCU, uh, nineties, early 2000, other like dark anti-hero superhero movies, uh, mm-hmm. blade spawn, the Thomas Jane punisher movie. Um, there's a lot of that in here where it's like, yeah, it's dark. It's brooding. Uh, there's some good. It's not great. It, it doesn't make me like, oh, yay, superhero movies. It's it's going to be awesome. But it also may, just makes me sad that, like, they couldn't have figured out a way to make this work a little bit better. And okay. going back to a movie we just talked about a few episodes ago, that's, that's how you do this thing. Uh, and... You know, another plug for the movie Upgrade. Uh,
0: Oh, yeah, that's one of my favorite things this year. Very similar
1: idea. You know, a guy has something in his head that's controlling him, and they work together to become superhuman and, you know, go on a rampage. And very much in an anti-hero, dark, gritty sense. Everything that uh, Upgrade did right, uh, Venom just failed to really do um it it works um but i think if this movie were not banking on some of that uh, that marvel the built-in fandom yeah, yeah that built-in yeah. marvel fandom it just it wouldn't it wouldn't have been as successful
0: yeah and it, honestly the, it does feel very very dated cuz you know we the bar has been set a lot higher with what they've done with the mcu like with civil war infinity war uh, even with spider-man homecoming so we know what superhero movies can be like, so I mean, if this movie would have come out pre Iron Man, I, mean, I think we would have been lauding its praises because we didn't. Oh yeah, we didn't have anything that already was that was so good. But no, I mean, this is again. there's I can tear this movie apart a million which ways from Saturday just because it has a lot of problems. But in the end, I really had a fun time, and I I got out, and I kind of wanted to go see it again. I wanted to show people, and uh, I can get why people aren't liking it, but. Honestly, if you're a fan of the character and you just want to turn your brain off and have some big dumb fun, I mean, there, there's a lot worse movies you could be out there watching.
1: No, that is true. That is so yeah.
0: True. So I'm gonna wrap this uh, at a seven. Again, there are problems with it. If you're looking for a movie that's gonna change your life or that's you know doing something unique with filmmaking, this is not it. Uh, but if you want to have fun and you know it is PG-13, there are some people's heads get bitten off, but it's not too graphic. You know, there's no supposed R-rated cut that didn't get made. Um, it's fun, and I think teenagers are going to love it. So,
1: yeah, I'm I'm at a six. However, if you include the the after credit scenes, which also includes five minutes of a preview of Into the Spider Verse, which is coming which I'm out,
0: super excited for.
1: Yeah, coming out in just a few months, the the animated uh, movie about Peter Parker and Miles Morales, Spider Man, uh, that bumps it up another star. And so I would, I would give that a seven. If I'm including that the venom stuff, six, you include the after credit scenes seven. Yeah. That, that leads us to uh, another movie talking about other great things that are out there. Bad times at the El Royale. Uh, yes, this this, is
0: one that I really wanted to see. And I just, I couldn't get to the screen. It just wasn't going to work out that day.
1: Yeah. This has been kind of a stealth movie. It's, uh, Hasn't gotten as much attention and, uh, you know, by the box office is not faring as well against Venom. A Star is Born, which are just kicking the crap out of it, which is too bad because I loved this movie and I thought it was so great. Uh, This comes from screenwriter and director Drew Goddard, who previously wrote uh, Cabin in the Woods with Joss Whedon. And he also wrote the adaptation of The Martian. So this guy knows how to put together uh, a good genre picture. Uh, this is a story we've seen before uh, dozens of times, similar in a lot of ways to Cabin in the Woods. The, the kind of tropey feel that, you know, here are four strangers who check into a hotel. Uh, all of them have secrets, and uh, they're all there for reasons that they are not exactly saying. The secrets come out. People start dying and wackiness ensues. Uh, really, you, this, this all kind of stands and falls on the main cast. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about the main, the main folks in the order that they arrive to, uh, to the El Royale, which mm-hmm. I should mention is a motel set uh, half in Nevada and half in California. And it was uh, set up that way so that uh, they could have the liquor license in California and the gambling license in Nevada. And you could you could have both. And uh, it was at one time a swinging place uh, in the early 60s. Uh, it is now about 10 years later fallen into somewhat disrepute uh, and is sort of a, a flea bag pit stop on on the road to Reno. Um, so why these people are showing up here, we're not quite sure. Uh, the first is John Hamm, who is a vacuum cleaner salesman from Veloxi, Mississippi. Uh, <laughs> the, the second to arrive is a, a priest played by Jeff Bridges. The third is a soul backup singer uh, named Darlene Sweet. And uh, the fourth is a California hippie played by Dakota Johnson. And uh, there's some really interesting stuff that happens early in the film. Um, Basically, the premise is none of these people is who you think that they are. And this hotel is not what you think that it is. It's going to take you on a journey. Uh, There's a lot in here about sort of the nature of duality. Uh, California and Nevada. Good and evil. Heaven <clears> and <throat> hell. Birth, death. Uh, and... Oh, and I, I should also mention Chris, Hemworth, Chris Hemsworth shows up in Act 3 as a sort of Manson family leader, uh, cult leader, uh, with uh, with a connection to some of the people here. And he is scary as all get out even though he he kind of sounds like uh bill murray's carl character from caddyshack he, he he's of okay, he's yeah, yeah. talking like this most of the time but uh he'll <laughs> tell you about what's going on so he's got that going for him which is great so um it, hemsworth is amazing uh and it's it's kind of sad he doesn't show up until later in the film but he's just spectacular. Actually, everyone is spectacular in this movie. Uh, I, I've criticized Jeff Bridges in the past that, you know, for about the last 10 years, you kind of get one of two Jeff Bridges showing up in your movie. You either get crazy Heart Jeff Bridges or you get the dude or somewhere on the spectrum in between those two guys. And it's some mixture of them. Nope. This is a totally new character. It's very different. It's very nuanced. It's very layered. And he does the, the best job in acting that he's done in years. And uh, I, I just think he's spectacular. Um,
0: you also forgot his, his third uh, iteration of the the cowboy, like True Grit or Hell or High Water.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, well, I, I still think that with those... He's still kind of playing a mixture of the dude and crazy heart, you know. That's true, yeah. So, uh, yes, I I agree with you, um, but yeah, but there's but there's bits of of both of those in there. Um, who I really want to talk about, and who just is absolutely amazing here, is Cynthia Erivo, who plays Darlene Sweet. Even though you have these other big name actors who are at the top of the bill, she's the real star of the movie. You don't know that coming in, but she is the Rosetta Stone of this movie. She is the key to figuring everything out about it, and uh, she spends a major portions of the movie singing a cappella, like alone in a room. By herself and providing this haunting soundtrack to the film while she's just sitting there in her hotel room singing old soul standards like this old heart of mine or something and it's just haunting mm-hmm. it's fantastic it's so moody uh, Goddard is playing a lot of really cool games here uh, with both the cinematography which is beautiful with the story, where he's he's kind of twisting you in and out uh, on, on a lot of these things. Um, but really, this all comes down to the characters. And these actors nail their characters, and it's a lot of fun. I had a great time with this movie. Uh, I think it's one of the best things I've seen all year. Uh, I give it an 8.5 out of 10.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, th- this is one that I know with my friends has been a bit divisive. Like some people loved it and some people were just kind of meh on it. But yeah. I know looking at the story and looking at the cast and everything, I think mean, Drew Goddard, you know, Cabin in the Woods is my favorite horror movie. Right.
1: Uh, so one thing,
0: this is one that I've definitely been wanting to see. So
1: one thing, this is very long though. It is
0: Yeah, it's as long as First Man. Yeah. So.
1: And although First Man, I I agree with you, there were parts where it was a little slow and a little boring. How I would compare bad times at the El Royale is like getting the the cowboy ribeye at a steakhouse and instead of (laughs) getting the you know nice trimmed ribeye steak yes it's juicy and beautiful but you get the one with the bone in it's got it's got the bone it's got the extra gristle it's got the extra fat that's going to aid that cooking process it's gonna be yeah. And no, you shouldn't like chew and swallow that fat and gristle necessarily. But if you want to kind of, you know, uh, gnaw on that bone a little bit and try and suck the marrow out of it, if you want to, uh, you know, actually chew on it some, uh, there's something there to be enjoyed, even if it feels a little bit too much. So. Uh, yeah if anything you know this is drew Goddard's first time directing uh I think he doesn't have the instinct yet to kill his darlings and sometimes he's a little bit too precious with some of the things that he allows to keep in here uh because he he won't he won't do that um but I like that and I'm willing to enjoy it other people might just be like come on get on with it I was entertained I really liked it
0: cool well then i'll put that on the list to go see hopefully it'll um you know i'll be able to get to it before it's out of theaters or maybe it will send a screener yeah, who knows i hope so <laughs> all right so that's gonna wrap it up for this week on board as hell uh the only really big thing we got coming out this week and uh, next week is uh the new sequel to halloween, halloween. Yeah, this one actually is gonna uh it's a direct sequel to the very first one it pretends that two through the rob zombie movies all that stuff never took place uh, it's directed by david gordon green who actually we you know from doing stoner comedies like pineapple express and her highness um also did a lot of eastbound and down with danny mcbride who is one of the writers of this film so uh basically it takes place jamie lee curtis has grown up she's a grandmother now um but she's kind of spent her whole life paranoid and practicing and training to eventually kill michael myers when he returns and sure enough he comes back to haddonfield and i don't know i haven't seen it yet so we'll find out what happens (laughs)
1: right i'm i'm super interested in this because i i feel like this could be a lot of fun and i'm and what i've heard about it is that it really delivers especially for fans of the franchise Yeah, some of the uh fingers crossed
0: the film festivals it's been to and then some they've had some really early screenings uh fans of the original love it uh it's also surprisingly funny apparently it's it's a lot funnier than you think it would be uh, but also incredibly brutal. So, this is probably not ones you want to take your kids to unless you took them to Deadpool, then you're a bad parent. So,
1: I'm waiting until I get that PG 13 Deadpool in December. Thank you very much.
0: Oh, no, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm actually interested to see how they handle that if they're going to do the whole Princess Bride thing with his just, you know, skipping over the, the naughty bits. Um, but yeah, so that'll be for next week. I know I'm excited for that. Andy, you are too. Yep. Uh, but until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon.
1: I'm Mary Poppins, y'all
0: punk ass trippin' but it's alright homie scored a key
1: he's gonna fly punk ass fly